You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series on the life and work of Jesus. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. All right, so if you want to open your Bibles with me, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll all be up on the screen. Um, It's not uh, that bad uh, if you don't have it tonight. But Matthew chapter 1. And so there was a question that the Jewish people had that was kind of uh, going all throughout um, Jerusalem. And the big question is, who is this man and where did he come from? Who is this man and where did he come from? I mean, imagine to yourself, Jesus shows up on the scene and starts doing all of the things that Jesus was doing, and I think you'd probably ask yourself the very same question. Who is this man, and where did he come from? Okay? Now, there were a lot of stories that come along with that, okay? Uh, We ask ourselves this all the time, right? This is some of the number one questions that people have in the universe. We don't know about the aliens and those types of things, but in our world, okay, this is the number one question that people have. Who am I? Why am I here? Okay, so who am I? Uh, Where did I come from? And why am I here? Those are three of the biggest questions that people have about their own lives, right? We want to know a little bit about our ancestor. Ancestry.com, the um, whatever, all of those things are. I told you guys, you better get this done, right? And we, we were talking about this before, okay? Uh, people want to know, how much of this do I have in me and how much of that do I have in me? Where did I actually come from? Oh, I think that I'm 100% English because I'm a Bates, Leggett, Calvert, Shelley, okay? All of those things. They all sound like English names to me. I'm pretty sure. But I'm sure if I did an ancestry thing, I'd find out some really crazy stuff that I wasn't expecting, because that's what most people find out when they do it, right? I've never done it. I've never done it. But that's what most people find out. It's like, oh, I didn't know that I was, you know, 10% Slavic or that I, you know, any of those interesting things that you had no idea about your genealogy. Genealogies, interesting things, right? For Jesus, these were some of the easiest questions for him to answer. Who am I? I'm the son of the living God, God incarnate, okay? Where did I came from? I came directly from the throne room of heaven. And why am I here? I'm here to die for the sins of the world. That's a no-brainer for Jesus. It's not a question that he walked around asking himself all the time, but it's certainly a question that everyone else was asking about him. Who is this guy? Where did he come from? And why is he here? Why is he here? Okay, Uh, so... Um, of all the men in history, Jesus certainly is the most important. And he's definitely one of the most talked about men in all of history. Whether people like him or not, they talk about him. And I don't know if you notice or not, but I hear his name all the time. All the time right? You can walk through Walmart. You can hear his name. I don't think they're praising him, though, just from the tone that I get from them. Usually, they're frustrated when they're saying it, okay? Uh, But Jesus made so many claims about himself. A lot of people say Jesus never claimed to be God, okay? Uh, Jesus uh, claimed, I mean, uh, other people made lots of claims about him as well, 
Then you have his teachings, you have his miracles, and then ultimately his, the cross, his death, and then his resurrection. And as we journey throughout this summer, we're going to explore a whole bunch of these themes, and we're going to answer a whole lot of these questions. Who is this guy, and where did he come from? Okay, so this summer series, we're calling it The Life and Ministry of Jesus, The Life and Ministry of Jesus, and we're going to jump around the Gospels, we're going to pick up on stories here and there, we're going to interweave them from one Gospel to the other, we're going to see uh, some really interesting things. So we're going to begin in Matthew, I once heard that uh, a beginning is always the best place to start, right? I don't know, did your mama tell you that too? Okay. Mom, I don't know where to start cleaning up my room. Right there at the doorway. Right there at the doorway. Just start right there at the doorway. Make a path, okay? Uh, so it's always a good place to start at the beginning. So we're gonna start right in Matthew chapter one. Now, I'm sure that most of you guys have read through the book of Matthew at least one time in your life, right? Read through the book of Matthew. But here's the reality. The very first chapter of the book of Matthew is one of those long, tedious 17-verse genealogies. Genealogies. So most of us probably have read through this verse and skimmed through those things, and, oh, this son is the son of this and that and that, and this one, that, 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 that. Woo! Bible reading done for the day, right? Check. Time with Jesus. But genealogies are fascinating. They're fascinating. Did you ever think you'd hear somebody say that? Genealogies are fascinating. Recently, I, I finished the book of Numbers. You're right. You should mark that down. I finished the book of Numbers. A lot of people start the book of Numbers. They get about halfway through, and they're like, I can't do this. Right before it shifts into some really cool stories, they quit. Because the first half of the book of Numbers is all about genealogies and counting. Like it suggests. It's about numbers. But it's a lot of this one begat that one, and this tribe had this many because that one begat that one, and begat and begot and begat all these, and the son ofs, and all of these types of things. And you're like, I can't pronounce most of these names. What you'll find today, even though I practiced, you can ask my children. I stood in the, the kitchen going, I've been a minimum. I've been a, yeah, uh, yeah, listen again. No, I've, I've been a minimum. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I practiced these names, but I will still mispronounce a few of them because they're really difficult. So when we see some of these names, we just want to brush right past it because I, I don't know, right? Now, we're not going to do an extensive name study on every single name in the genealogy, even though there's a story behind all of these guys. There's a story behind all of these guys. But it's a short summer, and we don't have enough time to do all of that. So we're just going to breeze right past this section. No, I'm kidding. We're going to dig into this section tonight. We're going to use tonight's time to actually study the genealogy of Jesus in chapter one of the book of Matthew, okay? This genealogy has something very important to say. To the Jewish culture, genealogies are incredibly, incredibly important because they all want to know where they came from, which tribe do they belong to? Because some tribes have a better reputation than other tribes. Oh, and of course, they all want to either be from the tribe of Judah, maybe the tribe of Benjamin, 
okay? Maybe the Levites, because those are prestigious tribes in the tribes. Nobody wants to be from the tribe of Dan, y'all. What they did in the tribe of Dan when they set up their altars in the northern parts and all of those types of things, they, it's, uh, but in all reality, they want to know what tribe they're from, especially if they know anything about the book of Revelation. Remember we finished? There will be 12 tribes and 12,000 from each tribe, 144,000 people. So those tribes are going to become relevant once again. So genealogies are incredibly important to the Jewish people. And Matthew wanted to make sure, because he's writing his gospel to the Jews. Matthew was a tax collector, but he was a Jewish man. And he wrote his gospel to the Jewish people. The language that he uses in his gospel is written to the Jewish people. Each of the gospels is written for a slightly different purpose. And when you understand that, that helps give you a little bit more grounding in understanding how they wrote their gospel, what they focused on, what they were trying to say. And so knowing that he's writing to the Jews, we're gonna see some really cool things in here. He wanted to make sure that the Jewish people knew that Jesus belonged to the tribe of Judah and that he came through the line of David because this is incredibly important, okay? So let's take a look at that genealogy. Matthew chapter one, verses, I'm just gonna read the whole chapter for you. These are my wisdom glasses. This is what happens as you get older, you get wisdom glasses, right? Everybody knows that, right? Because I can't see these little tiny letters if not. Okay, all right, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. This is the cool part. We did this um, the last like five or six weeks that we studied together. We went through most of these guys. So we don't gotta revisit them because these guys were in the hall of faith and we've already talked about a lot of these guys, okay? Um, here we go. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron and Hezron the father of Ram. Okay, are you guys with me still? Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab the father of Nashon and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam the father of Abijah and Abijah, Abijah, Abijah and the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram and Joram the father of uh, Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. I hope you're recognizing some of these names. There's some famous kings in here. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. I promise, that's how they say you're supposed to say that, Shealtiel. I looked three times, I was like, Shealtiel? Really? Shealtiel? The father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of 
Abahud. Abahud was the father of uh, Alakim and Eliakim. I'm sorry, Eliakim and Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim, and Akim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, uh, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And called his name Jesus, the genealogy and birth of Jesus Christ. Now let's look. uh, Let's look at a few important things that stick out in this passage, and the things that Matthew wanted the Jewish people to understand. Jesus fulfills prophecy. If you were sitting with us in our class that we had on Thursday night, uh, you probably heard that the probability of one man fulfilling eight prophecies written about him more than 400 years before he was born, which all of the prophecies written before Jesus were before that, okay? Eight. Now, mind you, Jesus fulfilled more than half of the 300. The other half are about his second coming. So Jesus fulfilled over 150 prophecies in his first coming. The probability of fulfilling eight prophecies is one in 10 quadrillion. Did you get that right? Quadrillion, okay? One in 10 quadrillion to fulfill eight prophecies about him. Eight, but he fulfilled hundreds, hundreds, and he will continue to fulfill more in his second coming. Okay, so Jesus fulfills prophecy, and Matthew wanted them to know that. So he begins by telling them that this Jesus was born of a woman who had not been with a man, okay? She was a virgin. This fulfills Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The seed of woman will crush Satan's head. The seed of woman, okay? The Messiah would come through the seed of Abraham. This is a prophecy from Genesis chapter 22, 18. So he mentions specifically that Abraham is in the genealogy of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, there's a prophecy spoken through Israel, Jacob, as he's blessing his son, Judah, okay? That Jesus would come through, that the Messiah would come through the line of Judah. 
And in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, we understand and see the prophecy that Jesus would be of the family of David. And this is important because this gives Jesus the right to the throne of David, which God said would be a perpetual throne for all of history. It would be a perpetual throne, okay? Now, here's the interesting thing to note about this genealogy. This genealogy of Jesus is the only one that actually exists that would give anyone the right to the throne of David. Now and in the future. Why? Because in 70 AD, when the Romans destroyed the temple, they destroyed all the genealogies. That's why the Jewish people today have no idea where they came from. None whatsoever. They don't know what tribe they belong to. They're trying to figure it out. They're trying to find some way that they can trace their ancestry back. But in 70 AD, when the Romans took the temple, they destroyed all of the chronicles of genealogies of the Jewish people. Except for Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, which gives him the right to the throne of David. Pretty fascinating, right? God guards one genealogy. One genealogy right here and doesn't let the book of Matthew be destroyed. It's a pretty incredible uh, thing. So uh, as we look at this, we see that God has pre-planned these things. He set these things up. As we go through this genealogy, Matthew is showing them that everything that happened before Jesus Christ was born was put into motion by God himself, and Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies, and I'm showing you the prophecies that he fulfilled. The Jewish people were very studious people. They knew the scripture. They, they knew the prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah, I'm sorry. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, so I can't say that. They knew the prophecies about the Messiah. So when Matthew is going through these, being a Jewish man himself, he is making sure to show them, and he fulfilled that one, and he fulfilled that one, and he fulfilled this one, and he fulfilled this one. And I just mentioned to you one, two, three, four prophecies. Now remember, to fulfill eight is one in 10 quadrillion. And Matthew is showing them right here that Jesus has fulfilled four just in his birth just in his genealogy, he has fulfilled four. Now, you know, based on the place that he's born, okay, Micah 5.2 prophesies exactly where he would be born. There's number five, okay? But there's so many of them that lead us to this point, okay? But these are the ones that Matthew is trying to show the Jewish people. So the next thing that I wanna show you is what's in a name, to the Jewish culture, names were incredibly important. Every name had a specific meaning. That's why I said you could do a word study on every single one of these names, and you'd find out what they meant, and you'd be able to dig in just a little bit deeper. And it'd show you some of the character of the person. What if your name matched your character? What would they call you? I don't even know what they call me, y'all, and don't even, don't even come up with it, okay? Uh, so, but if your name matched your character, that's what we see here in the Bible. 
a lot of the names actually match the character of the person. That's how the Jewish people like to name their children. So often they would wait to give them a final name. Or sometimes they would name them after their father. Okay, family names were a big part of what they were doing. Let's look at what Matthew is trying to tell us about Jesus. Matthew uses multiple names for Jesus to make sure that his reader knows what he is trying to say. Now, most of us know and understand, okay, when we dig into the book of John, right? How many of you guys love the book of John? It's like the love gospel. It's just like one of the best gospels of all. You just read it and you just almost feel like you're being hugged. It's such a, such a kind, like, I, there's just something about the book of John. But we all know, and some of you could probably quote, okay, John 1.1, that tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we jump down to John 1.14, where he says, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, for we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son in the fullness of his truth and grace, okay? So we see here that John specifically tells us that Jesus is the Word, the Word is God, showing us that Jesus is God, and that God became flesh and dwelt amongst us, okay, showing us John, without a shadow of a doubt, is saying Jesus is God. But so is Matthew. So is Matthew. Here in his genealogy, he's saying that Jesus is God. Watch the way that Matthew uses names. In verse 1 and 18, he says, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is the Greek name uh, for Joshua, Okay, uh, it's in Hebrew, it's Yeshua, okay, it's Yeshua, um, and it's Joshua, which means Savior. The name means Savior. Messiah means anointed one. So Matthew continually calls Jesus the anointed Savior, the anointed Savior. Every time he mentions the name in Jesus, except for when he's telling how Jesus is to be named, he always says, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. He never leaves that part out, and that's on purpose, because he wanted the Jewish people to know and understand that this name for Jesus is vitally important. Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, okay? So, in verse 23, Matthew quotes 7.14, calling Jesus Emmanuel. Calling Jesus Emmanuel, okay? And Emmanuel, we all know, because it's on Christmas cards all over the place, right? It means God with us. So he's saying that Jesus is the Savior, the anointed one, God with us. So Matthew is making sure to understand that everybody who reads his gospel understands the truth that Jesus is God, just like John was trying to do. I teach eighth grade Bible at Lake Worth Christian School, if you didn't know. I say it all the time, but, okay, I teach Lake Worth Christian, I teach eighth grade Bible, I teach ninth grade Bible as well, okay? But in eighth grade Bible, I always start out the year because we talk about the life of Jesus. In eighth grade Bible, I always start out the year and I say, students, if you walk out of this room and you don't remember anything else that I taught you, remember this one thing because I consider it the most important. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. 
This is one of those doctrines that's worth dying for. This is one of those things you should never deny, regardless of the cost. Jesus is God. There's a lot of religions out there, they, they use the name of Jesus, but they don't believe that he's God. So that doesn't work. It actually doesn't align with the scripture. Matthew makes that clear. John makes that clear. I don't understand how they can breeze past these things, maybe because it's embedded in a genealogy, or maybe because they don't really know the scripture. How we can breeze past these things of these gospel writers trying to make sure that the reader understands that Jesus is the incarnate God. He is the Son of God. He is the second person in the Trinity. Matthew wants us to understand that, and he's using this usage of names and the Jewish people understanding of names. Jesus is God. Now, let's dig into this genealogy for a few minutes. I call this, this part, Jesus includes them all. Here's an interesting thing, right? My family is pretty big. My dad comes from nine brothers and sisters. My mom comes from 11. I got some cousins. And I got some cousins that I grew up with and that I love and that are amazing. And I just heard that one might be coming to Orlando with our family vacation uh, for the, the, at the end of June and I might actually get to see him for a couple of days, all those types of things. And I'm really excited about it. You guys have cousins that you get excited to see, right? And then you got cousins. Or maybe even brothers and sisters. Well, right here in the genealogy of Jesus, there's some of those people. And honestly and truthfully, if I was writing this genealogy, I might have done left them out. Because these are some stories, people. There are some stories embedded in this genealogy that will make someone pick up their Bible and go, is this still the Bible? Oh, yeah, it is. Because they're uncomfortable. There's weird stories in the Bible. I didn't know if you guys knew that or not, but there's some really weird stuff in the Bible. And if you made a movie of the life of some of these people that are mentioned in this genealogy, we'd probably have to rate it a deep PG-13, probably an R, if you really made it the way that it reads out in the Bible. So we're gonna look at just a little bit of that, okay? We're not gonna get too deep here. So genealogies. This guy is the son of this guy, 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 the son of this guy. You see a pattern? It's all men. In the genealogy, and when you look at many of these stories that we know in the Bible, like the feeding of the 5,000, 5,000 men, the women weren't counted. Women and children were not counted in a lot of these things. There were this many men. There were that many men. There were this many men. Women and children weren't counted. So it was not a custom of the Jewish people to include women in genealogies. But right here in the book of Matthew, there are multiple women mentioned in this genealogy. So you got to say to yourself, hmm, why? If it's not custom, it must have some great meaning, right? For him to include these women in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, you guys know who these women are. 
or at least the majority of them. So Matthew broke convention, so there has to be a very important reason. Let's talk about these ladies, okay? As you're reading through here, you probably notice some names here, okay? And uh, one of the first ones that we're gonna talk about is a woman by the name of Rahab. You guys heard of Rahab before? She's mentioned in here. Well, she's a prostitute, and she lived in a wall around Jericho. You guys heard the story of Jericho, right? And you know that they sent a couple of spies in, and they, they came into the city to check out the city to see when the best time was. And they, of course, they went to the house of the prostitute, and you're like, oh, already, it's already a bad story. But the reason that they did that is because it was not uncommon for men to go in and out of her door, so it wouldn't have been noticed if they actually were at her house necessarily. If they had gone to a stranger's house, that would have been different. But to a prostitute's house, no one would have taken much notice of two men coming and going from the, oh, there's a couple more men coming and going from that woman's house, of course, right? So they're actually in Rahab the prostitute's house. And the officials come knocking at the door. Get up on the roof now. Cover them up. Uh, excuse me, ma'am. Uh, we heard tell that there are some uh, Israelites in town. Do you know anything about them? These were those serious investigators that you see on those shows, you know, right? And she's like, nope, don't know nothing. This is one of those stories that people like to talk about. They're like, is it okay to lie? Right? Listen, if you're asking that question already, you probably shouldn't tell the lie that you want to tell because you're looking for an excuse, right? If you're in a moment and God is giving you that authority to go on and tell that lie, okay? I tell my students a lot of time when they ask that question, if we're going through this type of stuff, here's the reality. If I'm standing at a door in a country where everybody inside of my house is going to get killed, if I tell that guy that there's a Bible study going on, I'm probably going to look at him and I'm probably going to say, Ain't no Bible study here. But other than that, this is not an excuse to lie, people, okay? Don't use Rahab and say, well, God blessed her. She told a lie and he blessed her. I think God will bless me if I tell a little lie. Plus, it's gonna help me keep my job. No, no, no. And I've heard people use those types of things, okay? So Rahab is a prostitute, okay? And she saved the Israelites by lying to her own people, hiding spies on her roof when the officials came, and she ended up proclaiming God in this moment. She said, I know that your God is all-powerful, and I know that your God is gonna win this battle so you tell me what I need to do and, and, and so that I can uh, get my family saved as well. Because I know when you guys come in here that we're gonna lose. The most fascinating thing about Jericho, and I got to visit the city a couple years ago when I went to Israel, um, there's a section of wall that didn't fall. One little section. Everything else came tumbling down. There's one little section of wall that didn't fall. That's pretty fascinating. God said that he would protect Rahab and her family. But she was a Gentile and a prostitute. 
and she's in the genealogy of Jesus. Who tells that stuff? I'm telling y'all right now, if my aunt was a prostitute, I would not tell you. I wouldn't tell you. I probably wouldn't tell you the story. I might tell you her name, but I wouldn't tell you the story. But God, he goes and tells you the story of the whole thing and then goes over here later and puts it in his genealogy. There's gotta be a purpose. Then we go down in this one. You thought Rahab the prostitute was bad. Y'all met Tamar? Tamar's an interesting young lady, right? Most of you guys know who Judah is, right? He's one of the, the 12 sons of Israel, right? A really important one, actually. The kingship will come through him. There's a lot of prophecies about Judah, right? A lot of messianic prophecies, just like we talked about already, Genesis 49, 10. That's a messianic prophecy through the line of Judah. The scepter shall not pass from the hand of Judah until the Messiah has come. 70 AD, when they destroyed the temple and they took away the kingship of the Israelites in Israel. Because the Romans let them have a king for many years, because that's how the Romans governed. But in 70 AD, when they stopped all of that, the Jewish people ran into the streets and tore their clothes and ripped their beards out because the prophecy had not been fulfilled in their minds because they refused to accept Jesus as the Messiah, as their savior. Tamar, this one's a little saucy. All right, if you're one of those PG-13 people, um, if you only watch PG movies, you might want to do this for the next five minutes, okay? Uh, Tamar, uh, so Tamar's husband, Ur, the son of Judah, died, and Judah promised her his younger son when he came of age, okay? So what happened is her husband, Ur, died. So his brother, kinsman redeemer, took Tamar, but refused to give her a baby. That part's real dirty. When you read that, that's the, it gets into the R ratings. We're not going to talk about that. You want to know that story? Read Genesis chapter 38. You can get all the juicy, dirty details there. Okay? So here, now that's two sons of Judah that have died with Tamar. And, Tam and Tamar's like, Judah, uh, can the kinsman redeemer, your youngest son, and he's like, oh, well, he's too young right now. Judah was afraid he was gonna die. He didn't wanna lose his third son. He said, why don't you go back to the house of your father, and when he comes of age, I'll send him to you. We'll send to get him, and then you can marry him there. So Tamar goes back to the house of her father, and the years pass, and the years pass, and nobody comes, and nobody comes. And uh, the youngest son comes to age, and nobody comes. And the youngest son is there, and he's supposed to be marrying Tamar, and nothing happens. And then Tamar hears that her father-in-law, Judah, is passing through town, so she puts a veil over her head. Head and she goes to the gate to see him pass by that she may get the opportunity to speak to him for a moment. But as Judah is passing by, because he is a filthy man, the first thing he does is he looks upon this veiled woman and says, temple prostitute, perfect. And he begins to talk to her. He says nothing except for how much, how much. 
And she says, how much for what? And he says, oh, you know what I want. How much? How much for you to lie with me? And she says, oh, to lie with you. And they begin to negotiate. And she says, well, how do I know that you're going to send me this, these things that you promised me? Give me your signet ring. Give me your, your uh, rope that goes around your tunic. And give me your staff. And when you send these things to me, I will send these things back to you. And so Judah slept with his daughter-in-law, didn't know it was his daughter-in-law, and she became pregnant. And so the rumor comes from her town back to Judah, and Judah is furious. Bring that filthy woman before me that we may kill her, that she may be burned alive for what she has done to dishonor our family. And she comes and she says, Judah, yes, but may the same be done to the man that did this to me. And he's like, yes, may the same be done to the man that did this. Here is his signet room, his staff, and his cord. <gasps> it's me. It's me. And this guy right here is right there at the top. And here's the wild thing. The babies that were born, they're right here too. Perez, that was one of the babies that was born from Tamar becoming pregnant from her father-in-law. This is dirty stuff, guys. This stuff is filthy. Why did Jesus put this in his genealogy? One more. This one's a pretty story. One more and we're almost there, okay? Everybody loves the story of Ruth, don't they? It's such a beautiful love story, right? I'm pretty sure that Francine Rivers has written a novel, okay? Added some juicy details to it and made this the best romance story ever, okay? I know there's some Francine Rivers fans out there. I see you. I see you, big grin from ear to ear, okay? Nothing wrong with that. There are some beautiful love stories in the Bible, and this just happens to be one of them, except for a lot of people don't really understand who Ruth is. Ruth is a Moabitess. Ruth is a Moabitess. Who are the people of Moab? Well, funny story, when the people of Israel left Egypt and they were walking through the middle of the desert to get to the land of Canaan, they had to cross through the land of Ammon, and the land of Moab. And the land of Moab was on the south side just touching the Dead Sea, but there was no way to actually get to where they were going without passing through these lands, unless they went way far north and cut back down to get across the Jordan River to be able to go across. So the direct path would have been right up through Moab. So the people of Israel went to King of Moab and they said, King Moab, May we cross through your land. Never. And God curses them. He curses them. He said, you don't let my people through. They're like, we don't want anything to do with you. We just want to go through your land. We don't want war with you. We don't want your land. We're just trying to get over to the other side. We don't want anything to do with you. 
But God curses this people. You can find this story in Deuteronomy chapter 2, and you can find the curse in Deuteronomy chapter 23. And it says that the Moabites will not be in the assembly of the Lord. But right here in the genealogy of Jesus is a Moabitess. So we have a prostitute, a daughter-in-law who kind of seduced her father-in-law. She's the only Jewish lady in the crowd in this, this mess, okay? And we have a Moabitess. The Moabites were considered the enemies of God, the enemies of God, yet they're all here in the genealogy of Jesus. Judah, what a pig. He's filthy. As he's traveling along, he just assumes that she's a prostitute and walks up to a woman standing at a gate of a city and says, how much? There were no prostitutes in that city. When he went back to give the payment, they said, hey, where's the temple prostitute? They're like, we don't have prostitutes in this town. There's no prostitutes in this town? Then who did my master sleep with? Oh my goodness, this is a mess. Yeah, it's a mess because Judah's a pig. There's some crazy stories here in the genealogy of Jesus. And why? Guys, this is why. Because Jesus came for everyone. And if his genealogy, if his lineage was perfect, you wouldn't feel like you could fit into it. But most of us haven't seduced our father-in-laws. Most of us were not town prostitutes that took men in on a regular basis. Most of us were not complete enemies of God from our lineage. Actually, we were. The Bible says you were. We were enemies with God. Galatians 3.28. Okay? I'm sorry. That's not right. It's Colossians 1.13. Uh, we were enemies of God. Galatians 3.28 says there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if there's women in the genealogy. Jesus died for all of them. He came for all of them. It doesn't matter how dirty their past is. He died for all of them. He died for Judah, and he used them. Why? Because Ruth said, may your God be my God. I deny the things of my fathers. I deny this stuff. I want to go with you, Naomi. I want your God to be my God. So she accepted the creator God of the universe as her God, which redeemed her, made her no longer an enemy to God. And this is here as a genealogy in the life of Jesus because Jesus wants you and I to know that no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter where we've come from, no matter who our parents were, no matter what kind of, of curse has been put upon my family or any of those, he came to break the chain. He came to redeem you. He came to make you new. Ruth had a curse on her as a family, as a generation, and Christ broke it and put her in his family line. She shouldn't be there. She shouldn't be there. And if you know the story of Ruth, it's beautiful. 
It's the kinsman redeemer. It's a typology. It's Christ in the Old Testament. It's not a, a Christophany where Jesus actually appears. There's many of those. But this is a typology. This is a guy who is like Christ. He's like Christ. And his grandma's Rahab. And he marries a Moabitess, the enemy of God. Wow. The redemptive story of Jesus, just in a list of names. Matthew did that on purpose. He said, hey, you guys, look at this. This is how much Jesus loves everybody. He knew that the Jews thought, this is only for us. This is only for us. And we saw Jesus talking to Gentiles. Couldn't be for us. He said, no, here's Gentiles right from the beginning. And everybody that you know and love, the people that you proclaim to be the patriarchs of our faith, the Boazes, okay, these Judah, all of these guys, there's Gentiles woven all throughout people because God's redemptive plan from history started right at the beginning. That's why John says, in the beginning, Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus, God. Paul says it again in Colossians chapter one. He says he is, in him all things were made. In him and through him all things came into being in Colossians chapter one. Jesus came and he died for everyone. And when we get into John chapter three, it's the most famous verse in the Bible, y'all. They even put it out at football games and people really probably don't even know what it means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever, the prostitutes, the sleazy men that seduce people, the enemies of God, those that talk bad about God today, he spread his arms and he died on that cross for them. And he died for you. No matter where we've come from, people, no matter where we've been, he loves you. He loves you. Let's pray together. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Let's celebrate this precious love of Jesus that he has for us as we take communion together. Julius is gonna sing a song as you can get the elements as we pray. And uh, at the end, I'll come back up and we'll do communion, and if we have time, we'll sing another song to send us out, all right? Lord Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, Lord, and we honor you. You are so good, so loving. Lord, thank you for your word, that it teaches us how much you love us in spite of us, in spite of what we've done, or who we are, where we've come from, who our parents were, whatever types of curses may have been put on our families or whatever, Lord, you have come to break the chains. You have come to set us free that we may be your sons and daughters. And we thank you for that, Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. Prepare our hearts as we take communion in remembrance of you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube. 
so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.